the first words I said uh, to Nathanael, I spoke with them, they were about the Dibuk. Uh, it's a big thing happened in Jerusalem Thursday night. They, uh, Rav Butsri, the Makubal, uh, got rid of a Dibuk from a woman with witnesses who was recorded and taped. It's on the radio now with the Harutzai Kodesh. And, and so uh, when I walked in, it was the first thing on my mind. Very interestingly, uh, Netanel answers me, he knows nothing about it. One minute later, Rabbi Machlis pulls me aside after Mincha and asks me, uh, can I ask you a question? I said, yes. He says, how do you handle this with the Dibbik? My students are asking me, how do you relate to it? So I'll tell you the truth. My answer is very simple. I don't have any way to relate to it. It's Kabbalah Ma'asit. And while I know a little bit of Kabbalah Iyunit, uh, when it comes to Kabbalah Ma'asit, um, um, I know nothing. So I can't relate to it. I have to see. But I'm very curious. I heard part of it on the radio. It's very frightening. You know, it was recorded and broadcast. And now they say it's going to go onto the website. It's going to be broadcast all over the world. It's interesting. The ceremony, how he got rid of the Dibbuk, and they say that the Spirit speaks, and the Spirit says, uh, I, I was Machal Shabbos, I didn't say Kaddish, I did this, I did that. It's, it's an un- unbelievable, uh, unbelievable happening. And this Rabbi Butsri is uh, being groomed as Rav, Kadur, Rav Kaduri's successor, as the greatest Makubal of our generation. It's a different world out there. But I can't uh, decry it or deny it. I have to listen. There was a famous movie, The Dibbuk. I know it from uh, Poland. They tell me there was an American version. And it's a very uh, fascinating uh, story, The Dibbuk. People swear it happened. They start talking. I wish I could ask my Rebbe, uh, Rebbe, how do you you relate to this? Okay. Uh, Anyway, now let's come back to a much more logical, uh, halachically sound world. Yes. No, the Rav, uh, I don't think he ever saw the Chavetz Chaim. The Rav, uh, let's put it this way, when the Rav was growing up, he was growing up in Chaslavich. The, the Chavetz Chaim was in Raten. World War One broke out. Remember, when World War One broke out, the Rav was a little kid yet. By the time World War One was over, the Rav was in Warsaw. And from Warsaw, he left for Berlin. I don't, I don't think the Rav was anywhere near Raten. And you didn't travel as easily in those days. But uh, it's an interesting question, uh, uh, to the best of my knowledge, uh, the Rav never saw the Chavetz Chaim. The Rav did. He once spoke, and I quoted in Shir, I quoted in my book. He spoke about Rav Chaim Ozygrzynski. He spoke about Rav Baruch Belaybevich. He spoke about Rav Shimon Shkup. So he absolutely saw them because he spoke that he spoke in learning with them. And uh, it evidently was a time in his life when he visited uh, the, the Vilna area when he was mature already because he spoke in learning. Uh, it, it perhaps, perhaps was already when he was married and came back to Vilna. He lived there a short time in the 1930s before he came to, it could be before he came to America. It's hard to tell because uh, he never elaborated what years those were. But all we can gather is that he was mature and spoken learning. Okay, uh, it was a very, a very moving Yotzai Drusha and I, I, I believe I dealt with it in class. I don't remember in what context. I know I deal with, maybe I'm confusing it with my book. I deal with it in my book. But it was a very moving Yotzai Drusha. Now, let, let me just uh, recapitulate what we said last week and uh, then I'll go further. And what we spoke about is w- when we when we're Matrim and I'll introduce a new concept today. Uh, being Matrim and is detective work. 
as I've said now for a year and a half, there's no other part of the halacha that I know where you are pasking on the basis of lack of knowledge. You're putting together circumstantial evidence. If we could find the body, we would know one way or the other. Because we can't find the body, or because we can't identify a body that has been found, so we're putting together circumstantial evidence. And last week we got involved in another aspect, the aspect of Simanim. And as I said, the whole concept of Simanim begins with Hashavat Aveda. How we in an Aveda? And it has to be through Simanim. And the stronger Simanim on Hashavat Aveda, in other words, if you learn that Hashavat Aveda is a meteorite, if someone gives Simanim, it's a Dindioraita, so then of course it makes it stronger in Heterakuna. If you want to say that Hashavat Aveda is no more than Tikkun Olam, that the world should function properly, that we should be able to live with each other, be able to get along with each other, then of course it weakens the concept of Simanim by Aguna. Obviously, from Hashavat Aveda to Aguna, there is a tremendous difference. Hashavat Aveda, look, I can give away money, it's not the end of the world. I've said this many times, I said it this morning in Midrashat Maria, and I know that uh, your generation looks at me with uh, a feeling of benign neglect, because all of you are raised in a world where money is a very, very important factor. This is the Western world, and getting ahead, and financially able, and, and the stock market, and everything going on today in America. And like someone called me, I put together some people with a certain patent, and I tried to help a student of mine. He needed millions of dollars of money to test the patent, and I got people, so they called me, and they said, listen... We have the money today. We, we, we have the money. And a guy says, there's a balabas who gives me for shvatamis, a devotee of mine. I can't say a word. He says, he says, you don't know, Rabbi, how well the stock market is doing, but we can't get any positive feedback. That, In other words, they had it tested by a, a company of research, and the feedback they get is that although the patent makes sense, it looks, as far as from the theory to the practice, it's going to take, tens and tens of millions of dollars and even then they have their doubts whether the pill can work because it may solve one problem but destroy the person in other areas of his body. So, uh, you know, but I love the way he said to me, we have the money, the money is flowing around, people don't know what to do with the money today, they're looking for something like this. But it can't be total risk, there has to be a chance. So, um, when it comes to money, in my world, money is not the same factor of the Western world because Baruch Hashem, no one stops, thank God, in the Western world. And there are other factors in life that have to motivate you and pulsate within you beyond money. And and so when Hashavat HaVeda, you understand yourself, and this is axiomatic. I just saw it in Tosfat and Ketuvat in a different context. But it's axiomatic, so you give money, you take money, it's not the end of the world. Heteraguna, Rebani Shalolim, if your mother or woman to remarry, Shalokadin, all the rabbis in the world can't solve anything because we're not, we're, we're not popes, we're not, not Catholicism. Catholicism, see Rabbi Rackman picked on something, if, if, you know, it hurts me because Rabbi Rackman's a wonderful individual, but in his old age he did a terrible thing. He picked on something, it's like Catholicism. You understand they're going to no marriage, no marriage, no marriage, we can't annul marriages. There's no such concept in Torah. When, so, so you're going to be mother, woman, shalok, then you're dealing here with mamzerat. Mamzerit. Mamzerit is a stigma that lasts forever. Uh, unlike that book, I, I told you, there was one mistake in that book. In, in Mintz's book, where he talks about Hasidus in America, he has a footnote that Mamzerit lasts for 10 dorat. Mamzerit lasts forever, all right? None of you have ever seen a Mamza. Somehow, 
God privileged the Rabbanim to have very good minds, and we do whatever we can, we bend over backwards, but let me tell you, when you're Matir Mamza, you know what your last words are after the Hetar is given? You turn away and say, but who rachum you understand? So, uh, uh, is not so easy. With all that, that Moshe was matir, it's a terrible situation to, to, to prevent Nagona. So, simanim have to be much more serious. So, we spoke about how do you identify a body. Let's say a body is found. So, of course, the greatest identification is the face. Patsuf. And, uh, that's, all of us are unique. This is how we know each other. This is the chazaka. This is why when, when Avi Nadel walks into class today, I can say, Hi Avi, good to see you. How do I know it's Avi Nadel? Because I'm back here. This is, this is the Patsif. This is Hirsch Cooper. This is Aaron Kefet. This is the greatest form of identification. However, it's the weakest form. Because Loa Lenu, when a person is dead, uh, within 72 hours, you cannot recognize that person. Rigamortis sets in. And the person dies, and lower lane, the body stops functioning, and you should never have to look at dead bodies. But it's also part of life, unfortunately. And believe me, I couldn't, uh, when, I, when, I, when I looked at certain people I knew, I couldn't even I, I recognize them. So while the patsif is the best form of identification, concomitantly, it's the weakest form of identification. Simanim are much better. Because simanim don't change. And here we got involved in the three different types of simanim. I introduced it last week. I showed you the Makarat and the Arachashulchan, simanim mufakim, benoniyim, and gruim. And we're going to deal with this today. Now, what do we mean? And, and again, what do we mean? A simanim mufak, you see, nowadays with modern science, if we can only come up with a body, basically we can solve the problem in a minute with DNA. DNA is a simon mufak. Ah, it's only, what, what did they say? It's only 99.99% right. That is not to be mat. From the point of view of Agun. From the point of view of Mamzerut, you can make a case, paraphrasing the Gemara, that maybe her husband came on a horse, came on an elephant, flew over, even though he was in Medina Tayam, and he had relations with her during the last year, and that's how she had the child. Uh, from the point of view of Manzerich, you can always stress the fact that DNA is not 100% reliable. But from the point of view of Hetaragoda, 99.99% is certainly a simon mafak. Other simanim mafakim, I gave you a simple example, a child born with six fingers. That's a beautiful example. child born with six fingers, that's a simon mafak. Although it's very rare, and uh, most people have five fingers. But all I can tell you is when I saw my children for the first time, the little infants, the first thing I did is I counted their fingers, I counted their, uh, their what do you call it, thumbs, that's spot. what would you call that in English? The toes, I counted their toes, I counted their fingers. That's, that's the first thing I did. So uh, that's a simon, that's a simon mufak. A simon benoni for the sake of argument, uh, what about a wart, a growth, a protrusion, it's something that's unique, perhaps it's Mufak, perhaps it's Benoni. You understand, you're coming into a very gray area. Uh, someone who's totally bald. Come back to that today. What do you call it? Mufak, Benoni, Garua? Well, there's no question. If a man in his 20s is totally bald, that may be a Simon Mufak. Most people in their 20s are not totally bald. If a man in his 20s is hair is thinning out, that may be a Simon Benoni. On the other hand, when you talk in terms of a redhead, a blonde, or whatever it is, that already is a simon garua. And, and what do you do with these simonim? You see, a simon mufak is very powerful. Circumstantially, it's very powerful. A guy disappeared. 
who for the sake of argument was totally bald and had a wart above his eye. Body turns up, and while you can't recognize the face, you can see that he had no hair and that he had a wart above his eye. I would say you could be Matadiyagun on that basis. That's a Simon Mufak. What about a Simon Benoni? And here, of course, we'll see in the Halacha, you can take two Simon and Benonim and put them together. It makes the assumption, the detective work, a lot stronger. In other words, the chances are, if you find a body, that the guy's hair is very thin already at the age of 26, and for the sake of argument, uh, he had, he, someone beat the hell out of him, and he had a uh, broken finger that healed, but you can still see that the bone uh, looks different than other bones. Those are two simanim bainoni, put them together, it's a simanim mafak. What about simanim gruim? And there you'll see Rabbi Shochanan holds that just as two bainoniim combined to make a mufak, two gruim or three gruim combined to make a bainoni. And then perhaps if you have one bainoni, another bainoni, in other words, the whole concept here is to build up the circumstantial evidence. Um, and let, let me go. And, and this is exactly what's involved, exactly what's involved in the halachic literature, exactly what's involved in heteraguna. You are building up circumstantial evidence. It's literally uh, cloak and dagger. It's literally detective story. And there's no other way to do it because you want to be matadiyakuna. Logically speaking, you believe the husband is dead. You want to be matadiyakuna. But you have to have on, on the peg on which to hang your hat. You don't want to make a mistake. And, and this is why the simon becomes so important. Now, we mentioned something else last week that we'll see to, to today in the response literature. See the clothing we wear. Uh, let's say a body, a body is dug up, and lower later we have time and again ju- Jews jumped off the bridges across the Thames River in London. Time and again Jews would go from Eastern Europe, go to London. Whatever the reasons were, they would commit suicide. So you now know a Jewish body is missing, jumped in London, or you don't know that he jumped, but you know he's missing, he was suicidal, he had mental problems, emotional problems. All I can tell you is, you know, I've taught until maybe 11,000 students already. I've had everything in my life. I have students who committed suicide. Loa Lenu. It's hard, to, it's hard to, to, to pick up in advance. I guess maybe psychiatrists, psychologists are trained, they can spot, they know. But, you know, it's just so sad, it's overwhelming. Girls that I had uh, in, in, in Michala, fine, wonderful girls, you never dream in a thousand years something was wrong. And uh, they commit suicide. And I have to tell you, a Rebbe too, when you're a Rebbe, when you teach, when you inculcate Torah values, you should always leave a person with a feeling that if they stumble or if they sin, they can come back, that God is with them. It's very important. They shouldn't feel their world has ended. I'm not, God forbid, advocating sin or some stumbling, far from it. But always let them know, and God wants nothing more than a humble heart, a contrite heart, and always leave that safety valve. Because it's a terrible flaw to imagine that someone can stumble in sin and feel they have to commit suicide. And I'll tell you something else that's very important. I spoke about it this morning in Wretched Maria and the girls at this... I never got so many thank yous afterwards. But I saw from the girls' papers that uh, some of them are struggling. Suddenly they woke up and are amazed that they didn't handle this problem before when they were younger. But the whole problem of is the human being a human being or are we just animals? And uh, to, just to handle the problem black and white, 
you take a three-year-old kid who dies of cancer. What's happening here? Three-year-old kid. What has this kid done? What has this child done? And if you say it's a punishment for parents, why, why should the child suffer like this? An innocent, blameless child. Of course, go back to the six million. I, I said to the girls, that's your question? And the six million and a million and a half children and, and, and all the bestiality of, of the, the Gestapo, the SS, what we saw, what, what lower Lenu, who can even believe it? And, and I always educate, you understand, we, we have a real problem in Chinuch. Our problem in Chinuch begins because the first prayer with Torah Shema Yisrael. Shema Yisrael, when you get to the second paragraph, it has a very simple message. And suddenly everything is going to be good. We're going to have blessing and success. And of course, this is axiomatic to teaching a child, if you do good, God will bless you. And if you choose evil, you'll be punished. But concomitantly, as a child goes older, you have to teach them Eiv, Anakeitat Yitzchak, and Moshe Rabbeinu. Baal Lichtenstein gave a wonderful talk to the girls, which no one understood. And it's unfortunate. I don't know why. When Rabbi gets up to speak, people automatically turn themselves off, don't make the effort. But he did. See, the talk he gave to the men, I can understand no one understood, because he touched upon sugyas that you don't have a feel for. You haven't touched it yet. Hatfasan, Dorim. You understand what I'm talking about? Kabbalah Tainit. It's stuck of what, 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 what is it considered as far as the nether goes. All right, th- these are problems. You have to have the sugya, then you can understand him. But for the women, he spoke about God's revelation in Sefer Shmot. And he dealt with the problem that even Moshe Rabbeinu, that, is, as, as, that this love affair between the Jew and God, but it never reaches full consummation. At least not, not until Mashiach Zidkenu. Because we just can't understand. Even Moshe Rabbeinu at the ultimate point, has to pull back. He can't understand everything. He spoke very beautiful, Rabban. It's Mamisha masterpiece. It's worth listening to the tape. So uh, I, I told the girls that part of our lesson has to be that, that what's your choice? To live, to live like an animal and say I'm no different than an animal. I'm here, now, nothing else matters. Or to live like a Jew and, and to be concerned with the past and the future even though there are many Concepts we can't understand. And I, I gave them an example. I'll tell you the example in a moment. But I want to tell you what the, what the wonderful benefit of this talk was. Girls who questioned felt better. In other words, look what I'm saying between the lines. I'm saying to these girls, you have a right to question. You're a human being. Don't feel bad because you have questions. And maybe we don't have answers to everything. Moshe also, Barito Dacharai. We're not God. What was the message to you? You don't see the total picture. We have to be humble. But with your questions, and that itself becomes a beautiful answer. And that's a beautiful approach because it means if a girl questions suddenly at the age of 19, and you know teenagers are the highest rate of suicide. It's very, very sad. Are you aware of that? Anyone here study psychology? The highest rate of suicide is among teenagers, more among girls than among men. And among, the second highest rate is among men in their late 40s, early 50s, the springtime of the year, this time of the year. Are you aware of it? Men who are peeking out and realize they never achieved, they're never going to be what they thought they would be. They're older, they're weakening, and, and the whole world is becoming green again, and the, the and they're left behind. 
And I know three such individuals who committed suicide at that age, at that stage in life, with a kippah on their heads. Three individuals. And I said something amazing to the girls. I said, girls, look at it a little differently. Look at the Holocaust. The Holocaust was over. Some people came out of it with such hatred for God. Well, you, you know that uh, in, I, I don't know if I spoke about it here or where I spoke about it, if you read the papers here, you know that in the finest high school, secular high school in Yerushalayim, uh, uh, the gymnasium, they blasphemed God on Yom, on Yom Hazik Haron, Chalalei HaShoah. Blasphemed God. There was a play, teachers, it's a secular high school. Some teachers and many students walked out. That's how bad the play was. So people came out of the Holocaust, they blasphemed God, they cursed God, they maledicted God, they walked away from Judaism. Some married Goyim, I know, I know fine Polish Jews married Goyim, some didn't give their kids Britot Miller. No, you look back 60 years later now, 50 years later, 60 years later, they're dead, they've left nothing in this world. Maybe if they're fortunate, a grandchild, two grandchildren, total Gentiles. Look at the Bava Rebbe. Lost everything. Everyone wiped out. The only thing he was left with, not his wife, not his children, and multiply the Bava Rebbe by tens of thousands of examples, all he was left with was his faith. As he have said, although you slay me, you can't take my faith away. Tzadik Today, there are over 100 direct descendants Grandchildren, I think it's way over a hundred to the Bava Rebbe. Oh, look at the difference. So you see, when you look at it already like Yiv, like a Kaddish Baruch who says Tiyav, and you see a more total picture, suddenly it hits you between the eyes. You're flabbergasted. So, anyway, coming back to the way I began, Loa Lenu, students commit suicide. It's, it's very sad, very sad. And a Rebbe has a responsibility. It goes with everything, including uh, our approach to life and, and Torah and, and, and Yetzirah. We have a Torah approach. I don't want to go into more detail. It'll take me far abreast. But those of you familiar with my Rebbe, Zish Halacha, if you're familiar with the Rav Zish Halacha, I think in his analysis of the Muslim movement, he is fabulous. Th- to me, that's one of the high points of Rebbe in Machshava and philosophy. Fabulous. Because you know, the critics say about the Rav, he wasn't original in his philosophy. All he did was take the Torah philosophy and put it into the garb of modern philosophy. And that may be true. No one said he had to be original. He was original in the Brisk, in his Chidushim, in his Fremfring Rambams. His Chidush was that he took Torah philosophy and put it into the garb of the 20th century. But I want to tell you, when it comes to his analysis of the Muslim movement, the originality, the insight, and it's basically just what we're saying here in class. I can't go into more detail, but it's overwhelming. All right, coming back here. Death is a tragedy. No two ways about it. We have to identify the body. We have to work with simanim. We have to work with clothes. A person committed suicide. That was my starting point. Time and again in the trivet, the police in London, Scotland Yard announced they dragged the body out of the water. And they published in the papers, they buried the body immediately. They have to bury the body, but they published in the papers, 
and it reaches Eastern Europe, someone was found dragged out of the water, he looked like a Jew, he had a beard, he had payas, and he wore the fringes, what we call an abacanthus. No, could you imagine the woman then travels, and we have this, it's, it's black and white, the woman travels to London, and the police take out of their locker what they found on the man, his clothes, and the woman identifies the clothes, this is my husband's fringes, abacanthus, absolutely. Can you depend upon that? And there we get involved with the whole question of Hashin and L'Shela. Do we borrow things? Now you see, that's a world that most of you don't know about. Today, thank God, everyone here has his own clothes. But I remember in my youth, in, 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 I wasn't in the dormitory, I always lived uh, a short bus ride from Yeshiva University, or a 25-minute bus ride, call it short or long. I remember in my youth, fellas in the dorm. Borrowed clothes. Guy was going out on a date. He needed a white shirt. He borrowed a white shirt. People borrowed coats. People certainly borrowed uh, ties. I can still remember teaching kids who borrowed kippot. And uh, can you identify? Hashim and L'Shela. You're worried. Maybe he lent it to someone. Maybe this is not the person. Maybe your husband lent someone else's abacomphus. And this too is an interesting question. And you have to know it also. See, it's a lot of common sense here. This is circumstantial. Where you're chayish l'shela, where you're not. It can very well be with clothes you have to worry. But what about if all the clothes is exactly the clothes the husband wore? No guy is going to lend his coat, his jacket, his abacampens, his kippah, his shirt, his belt, his gatel, his everything. What about if you find a wallet on him? Who lends a wallet to someone else? A passport. Or maybe on the other hand, who knows? He borrowed a wallet, he wanted your money. Hey, take my wallet. Give it back to me later. And, and, and these are the problems that come up. Okay. Now, I want to pick, off, I want to pick up exactly where I left off. The Yorach HaShulchan Tevenezer, Siman Yud Zayin, Sifkotan the Yorach HaShulchan Kuf Ayin. And he says very simply, what we call simonim benoniyim, or what he calls mumutsaim, emtsaiyim. You know, it's interesting. In modern Hebrew, you would call it simanim emtsaiyim. In modern halachic Hebrew, we call it simanim benoniyim. In his Hebrew, he calls it umemutsaim. It means a moderate, a benoni, an in-between sign. What we call an in-between sign for hashavat aveda is good enough. You don't need more. He says, but by an ish, a siman benoni is not going to help you. Why? Because it's so much more severe. And here's where he says, and this is the whole question in the Gemara, there's a whole sugi in Yavamat, why do you return an Aveda? Is the Aveda returned because it's a din the right that you have to return it? Or is it only a takanat chachamim? And we see if we paskin, it's a takanat chachamim, it's not the right, then it makes the whole concept of simon weaker. And the Gemara, we may, the Gemara doesn't settle the issue. If you look into the Gemara, Yavamat, Kofrafam, and Aleph, there's a whole Mishnah here. Then the Mishnah says, that when we want to identify a dead body, the f- visage, the face, the nose, 
This is the individual. We all have eyes. We all have eyes. Most of most of the eyes. If you, if I were just to photograph your eyes alone, the eyes say nothing. Although I have to tell you, I got into trouble this morning with the eyes because I was going crazy against the sheitlach, against Jaffa sheitlach. You can't believe what happened to me this morning. So I was going crazy with the eyes. I was dealing with Kisui Rosh. I was giving them, reading them the riot act that uh, I don't like the the modern orthodox world walks around. We don't cover our hair. Married women don't cover their hair. And I dealt with the Rev's wife not covering her hair. And what's the difference? I was in high gear this morning. So it turns out that Yaffa, the wig lady's niece, was in my class. She says, that's my aunt. Then she tells me, Rebbe, she agrees with you. She also thinks it's a Chalashem. But she's making money out of it. She's laughing all the way to the bank. So I had this this book of Sheitlach. And when, you know what they call them, passion, going places, chic. This is Borough Park Sheitlach. And it's mind-boggling. A married woman is Sheitlach. But then I said, and I said, I told her, you know, there's another problem, girls. If your boyfriends or husbands are going to look at this book, it's a disservice to you. Because no woman looks like this. You understand? These are models. They played with their with the shakel, with, with the lipstick, with the mascara. For each picture you see there, nine hours of work went into getting that model ready. And it's unfair because the men look at these pictures. They think that's what women have to look like. It's unfair. It's Geneva Tat. And then I got into trouble. I started looking. I said, look at this, look at that. And then there was one girl there, one woman there with the eyes. I said, that girl can't come to my class. I couldn't survive her. Finished. Out. See, so even with eyes, those eyes, the class was going hysterical. You've got to visualize what's happening now. I'm showing the girl. No, what do you think? Look at those eyes. Oh, my gosh. Those eyes. Let me tell you, it was Avishak Hashunamit in person. With all that the Gemara in Megillah says, and I don't want to say that Gemara loud because it's a naughty Gemara. And all that Avishak Hashunamit. And, and so you see, sometimes eyes, but generally speaking, eyes don't mean anything unless you look like that girl. That's the exception. That woman, whatever she was, maybe she was a fantasy of, of Yaffa's imagination or a Borough Park, a demon, whatever it is. I used from Borough Park. But what eyes? Outside of that picture in Yafish Shekel catalog, most of you guys look the same. The eyes, the shmais, and who knows, and who cares, and who can tell, Hazel Brown. But the face, the nose, that's identity. That's positive identity. And, 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 and then the Mishnah says that that identity of the face and nose... Yes, David, what, what's your problem? Chaim Hella? I, I know, the photograph I discovered, no, I didn't have to identify it. It's set in back. I have the original. It's set in back. Chaim Hella, 1929. I probably said, look at those eyes. That's all. That when you look, when you see them many years later, Labavitch, your Rebbe's eyes. Come on. When I was a Rebbe teaching Gemara, and I had my students four or five hours a day, David, let me tell you a story. Everyone, they walked into their class with their kippot like this over their forehead because they knew one look from me and I could tell them everything they had done Saturday night, line by line. So that's a different story. But, but nevertheless, the main identification is the visage. And then the Mishnah adds on. See, this is the important part of the Mishnah. That even though you have simonim, 
the size of the guy, the height of the guy, the, the, how much the, the, the body weight, some of us are lightweights, middleweights, heavyweights, some of us like to stand in front of the cake counter when we speak. You understand? It varies. There's a picture in the Michal, in, in the Midrash office this morning, the secretaries were choking with laughter. I walked in, I looked at the picture, three faculty members. One of them just lost about 40 pounds, and the other two are each about 150 pounds overweight. What those other two guys look like. I thought, what's this, Japanese wrestlers are now teaching the girls? It was a perm picture. What those guys look like. What do you call them? Sumo, sumo, sumo wrestlers? Banishulayla, Midrashit Maria, some of their chief faculty are sumo wrestlers. You understand? So, of course, that's when a guy looks like a sumo wrestler, believe me, that's identification. Or you talk about, here the Mishnah says, be Caleb. Here, I wear windbreakers. My student, everyone laughs at me. Everyone sees me. Shabbos, I have a white windbreaker. I have a blue and white one. Or we can have a blue one. You know, I wear windbreakers. It's so simple. My whole life is Torah, is teaching Torah. I always have to cover my neck. It's the most sensitive part of my body. And I run, I can't tolerate a wind. I'm, I'm, you got to remember that teaching, I'm, I'm abgeschwacht. And that's why I wear windbreakers. It protects my health. So, so imagine you find the windbreaker and you find the person with. The, so you know it's me. You know it's him. You know. You know for sure. No, the Mishnah says you testify on the face on the visage, and that's where the great. I don't want to go through the whole Gemara, but you can see the Gemara yourself. It's Kufchaf Amid Aleph and and Kufchaf Amid Bed, and that's where the Gemara gets involved. Why don't you give these simanim? Why is the face so important? And from this we see, perhaps simanim are the writer. And then there's a viewpoint in the Gemara, no, simanim are the writer, but it's a whole question of what type of simanim, and simanim are basically benoniyim, and, and they're not muvhakim, and, and there's a whole, a whole sugya there. But from that Gemara you see very clearly that the greatest identity is Simon Mufak the face. From that, Gemara, you see very clearly, if Simonim are only the, uh, the uh, Simonim are the right to buy Shavat Aveda, then you got it made. If Simonim are only a Tikkun Olam by a Shavat Aveda, then by Eshetish, it becomes a lot more difficult. And that's, that's the Gemara. Now, Hashavat Aveda is a Sugyan Bab You've all learned it, and it's based upon the pasuk. The 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 It's based upon the pasuk in the Vayim Chavbet pasuk Gimel. The Kain Tassel Lechamaro. The Kain Tassel Simlos Tau. The Kain Tassel Lechol Aveda Tachisha Tovad Minu Mitzatata Lo Tuchal Lehit Aleim. And you have to return it. You walk along, you find an Aveda. I told you last week that uh, I still suffer with, with, uh, with that money I found so many years ago. I, I, I'll never forget how much I went through putting up signs. And I found like, I, I, I think it was $23. And oh, what that meant to me at that stage in life, $23 was like today I would find $2,000. And I it was Mikra. I came out of Mikra, every Rosh Hashanah. And some American must have walked by or came out of Mikvah, fell out of his pocket. And you, you, can't, you can't be Mithalem, you have to pick it up. And then you have to give it back. How do you give it back? And the Mishnah says, Simla kalelu. So why does the Torah specify Simla? Chayav 
and 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 the and the Mishnah says so so uh, potently and so accurately. What does an Aveda mean? First of all, there has to be something that people want. If someone people throw away, uh, can you imagine? I'm going to find even in Israel, Baruch Hashem, people throw away clips. Understand clips, uh, paper clips. An idiot is going. I found the paper clip. <laughs> people will laugh at you. Who gives a darn about a paper clip? Take it, use it. Gesundheit, hate. People throw away paper clips. Other things are new. Fine. Baruch Hashem. In our society, there's a lot that we throw away that we don't give a hoot about. But it has to be something that people care about and something identifiable. If I find something that in a million years can't be identified, how am I going to be machres? How can I describe it? How can someone, you understand, it, it doesn't get off the floor. That's why it says simla, something identifiable, something that has simanim, something that people care about. And that's where the whole union begins. I don't want to go into more detail there, but you take the Gemara in Bab Metziah, you tie it together with the Gemara in Yavamad, and this is where simanim plays such a big role by Aveda. And by the way, I have to tell you, the example of the dress is a beautiful dress, which, which again, it's one of my witticisms, but look how every, even my jokes have their origins in the Torah. That's an amazing thing. Look for one second. Think for one second. A simla, you get an invitation to a wedding, black tie. There's nothing I resent more than that. Someone is telling me how to dress. And then 300 men come and you can't tell one man apart from the other guy. 300 penguins from afar. Women, all the men are in black ties, 300 penguins marching, no individuality, 300 women. If two women have the same dress, they don't talk to each other for 49 years. That's the halacha. What? Where'd you get that dress? How dare you buy that dress? I bought that dress. When did you buy that dress? They've already gone to Mark Who bought it first? They take out their visas. Take it off immediately. I bought it January 11th. She bought it January 12th. You understand? But Simla, it's a beautiful example. Oh, what women, what Matthew puts up with Ilan and now the baby takes her time away. They get women, it's therapeutic for them. Like we learn at Dafkamura, they go shopping. You ever see? Shopping. It's, it's an art unto itself. And here, let me tell you, I just thought, God, I, it brings me back to my youth. I cry. I can still remember Rab Noach Bernstein. You got to remember, we all lived in the Bronx. And there's Reb Noyach and Reb Yeruchan, Reb Yeruchan, you know, he was the firebrand. And Reb Noyach, and we were very close, and Reb Noyach once said to me, it's all in Yiddish, but I'll translate for you, Reb Noyach says to me, you, you, you know the difference between me and, and Rav Gerelik? Let me tell you, he says. I live in America. He lives in America. All right, we'll accept it. He lived in America. I live in America. Yeah, he did. He sent his kids to YU. He lived in America. And he says, but Reb Yeruchan? He is still in Vilna. He is still in Rotten. He is still in Brez. The only thing American is that his wife shops in Alexander's. That's the answer to Zach. That's the answer America. That's the answer to Zach. in Alexander's. And that's an American thought. But that's women. Simla. Look, it's right in the Torah. No to you come in, it's amazing. You know, men, you see suits, all right, blue, b- black, brown, gray. How much choice is there? How many styles are there? Single-breasted, double-breasted, I've just described it all. Women, kanain, hara. If two dresses are alike, 300 penguins, 300 women, every dress different. Not only that, when they go away for the weekend, 
Every affair has to be a different dress. Think what I'm saying. The OU convention. I saw these women come. They're coming for one weekend. The man walks in with a little suitcase. The women, three coolies have to carry in what she has for, 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 for that weekend at the OU convention. So you see, the, the Torah wasn't far off. The Mishnah wasn't far off. They knew just what they were saying. But that's what we mean by a shiman. And, and that's the greatness of Tviat Ayan. And that's the greatness of identity. And that's why we knock Simanamad. If Simanamad, the all right, uh, all right, it's a little harder. We take a Tviyatayin, you can't knock them out so easily, but still a Tviyatayin is more. Nevertheless, if Simanamad, the Rabbanan, then we certainly have to go to a Tviyatayin. Okay. And, and the Rechashulchan brings down in, in Yud Zayin, Kuf Samachai, he brings down something beautiful, a Gemara, of course, that uh, that is so potent. The Gemara in Sanhedrin, that flying Zayat, Lamed Zayin, Ahmed Aleph, that how no two people look alike. The greatness of God, Lafikach Nivradam Yechidi, the greatness of God, the whole Gemara there, and that no two people look alike. A human being builds cars. All of you know that every Subaru looks the same, every Cadillac looks the same, every Rolls Royce, even though it's handmade, basically looks the same when all is said and done. And look at the greatness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. we all look different. This is the greatness of the Patsuf, this is the Mishnah Yavamad, and that's the greatest form of identity. Okay, however the Archashulchan goes further. And now I'm in Sifkat and Kuf Samach I'm just giving you the sources, we've spoken about this, but I want you to hear from the Archashulchan. And, and nevertheless, with all the gauntlet of the individuality, with all the gauntlet of the face, with all the gauntlet of the patsuf, simonim have their own advantages. Why? Number one, look what we're talking about. The patsuf is limited to one part of the body. Simonim are all over. And this is true. You can have a wart on your toe. You can have, I have one simon that is fabulous. I have an ingrown toenail that a butcher in the Bronx played with in uh, the 1940s. I have no nail on that, on, on that uh, toe. All I have is, a, is like a wild growing type of nail. It's not a real nail. That's a semen mufak. You understand? That's on my toe. On my toe I have a semen mufak. You understand? The patsuf, the visage, is limited to your face. A semen mufa can be all over on your body. All over. There, there's a person has a wart. You'll see in the children how it comes up. It can be all over. There's no end to the part of the body. So you have a whole body to play with. When it deals with hakara, al-yadeh, the visage, you're only dealing with the face. That's one advantage of a semen. And, and then he says something else. Knowing what a person looks like, it's only if you know the person intimately. I mean, Dr. is absolutely right. If you know him well, you see him on a daily basis. If you saw him once or twice or thrice, or you saw him many years ago, you're not going to remember him. It's impossible. You can't identify him. And that happened to me in this very room. There was a fellow in the Kolel who was the son-in-law of a Rav who helped me in the 1960s and is a great devotee of mine. He gets my shirm via tape. And I was standing right next to him. I hadn't seen him in maybe 30 plus years. 30 years. I was standing right next to him at the Brit. It was a Brit of a grandson of his. And he's quoting Rav Rekhefet. I'm standing next to him. 
And he's quoting me. And someone tells him, that's Reverend Kefet standing next to him. He looked at me. He was in a Seattle look. And I hadn't seen each other. And I didn't know who... I don't want to mention I didn't know it was he. I had the same thing, Shabbat Chalamayed. I walked in and someone greets me so warmly and said, with such covet and whatnot. The last time I saw him was in the 1960s. And I don't know, maybe he saw me, heard me speak over the years. It's like, it's like he knew me intimately. And then when I finally realized, and I only realized it, a number of days later when I met him again in the Shtiblach and Katamon, I realized who he was. And the Archashuk is absolutely right. But a Shimon, you don't have to know the person well. All you have to know, people say, a guy is missing that has an ingrown toenail that is growing wild, the nail is gone, so you find the stiff with a, with a finger. You understand? You can identify him immediately. You're not identifying the human being. You're identifying that that body had the shimon. And then when you can put the shimon together, you have the heteragunah. It's unbelievable. Okay, so you see, with all due respects to the greatness of the face, the individuality, the uniqueness of the face, nevertheless, simanim have advantages that the face does not have. And it's absolutely right. You see, what we're developing here is a dual track. You need both. And, and no case is like the other case. You have to use common sense. And with all that I've said about the Patsuf, they just found some bodies of children that were killed or died hundreds of years ago. And they found these bodies in a very cold climate. The bodies were frozen over. They say they were preserved in almost perfect condition. So could you imagine, I once saw a science mystery movie like this, where they find the body in Alaska, the guy was killed 30 years ago, and they find the body frozen, and they can catch the murderer 25, 30 years later, the body's perfect shape, exactly was he like he was a minute before he died. Just happened now. So you see, there's so much involved here, so many different factors, that as many rules as you put down, it is all circumstantial, and each case has to be dealt with individually. And here's the Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch, this is the Psak now, Yud Zayin, Sifkat and Haftalid. You find a body killed or dead. If the face is there, the nose is there, the visage is still there, Panav Kayamin, and you can identify him, you know him, this is the person, you know him for sure, you testify on that basis. However, if you can't identify the body, and what you have is circumstantial evidence, such as clothing or articles that were on this body, even though they are simonim of Hakim, you can't really identify Hashin and Lashayla. We're worried. The face, beautiful, testify. The clothes, the kalim, the money, the wallet, the passport, maybe you borrowed it. However, then the Shulchan Aruch goes further, If he had very definite simonim of hakim, that you can testify about. And what is the simonim of hakim? Let me give some examples, uh, the examples I gave. Six fingers. 
four fingers, what he calls yata or chaseh. Uh, one of his hands, a limb is deformed. It's a simen mafak. How many people do you know who, uh, that, that, let's say for the sake of argument, their left hand is much shorter than their right hand. Their left foot is much shorter than their right foot. It happens. This is congenital. Maybe it happened from an accident. Or they have on their nose a large pimple. We had one teacher in high school, may he rest in peace, he was a wonderful teacher and a wonderful human being. I, I call his memory fondly, Dr. Sasha Charles. Ah, that was a man, I remember when his wife died, his only wish was that he should die soon and be buried next time. I never saw such a beautiful love affair. And uh, unfortunately, he died shortly thereafter and was buried next to her. And I recall his memory fondly as children living in Israel. Tonight, her Dr. Sasha Charles was taught uh, taught me uh, Spanish. He was he taught French and Spanish in Yeshiva University High School in my days. And uh, I remember Dr. Charles had a big growth, a pimple, whatever you call it, on his nose. It never left him. It was something that was there all the years I knew him. That is a Simon Mufak. Oh, what that means, uh, uh, I'm not certain, I don't know. What does it mean? A nose, a simen mufak, a hooked nose, a Jewish nose, an Italian nose. What is considered very hooked, but there's no question. A nose like Jimmy Durante, you will grant me. That's, do you know Jimmy Durante? Did he reach Australia? A nose like Jimmy Durante is one in a, in a hundred thousand, a hundred thousand, one in a quarter million. That is a simen mufak. Understand that already. Jimmy Durante called it his schnaz. Jimmy Durante made millions of dollars off that nose. He laughed all the way to the bank. But there's no question that that is a simen mufak. Ah. Then the Orach HaShulchan. So that's the Psaka of the Shulchan Orach that you can testify about the face. Not about clothing, Hashinin Lashela, you can testify about a Simon Mufak, and he gives some very interesting reasons. Examples, I should say. What is a Simon Benoni? And here you have the Arachashulchan, and here we get involved with something very, very fascinating. Arachashulchan, Yudzayan, Kuf Ayin Dalad, Eza Simon Benoni, Kol Shaina Mitsui, Bahabedim. In other words, it's not something that a, a lot of people uh, have, but nevertheless, mathematically, statistically, you come up with it. And how can you define it? And he says in Kufayin Zion, and there's an entire literature on this topic. You know how you define a simon benoni? Whatever's a mum that is posel kohen from the avoda is a simon benoni. And I'll give you the source in a minute. Now, let's talk a bit about a coin for a second. Let me tell you something. I want to tell you something out of my own life experience. I've gotten some difficult questions over the years. Difficult questions. Forty years of teaching Torah, post-Holocaust, Zionism, Western world. Not an easy time to teach Torah. I've gotten some difficult questions. I've had some embarrassing moments. Spoken in Midrash today about an embarrassing moment I had. 
many years ago in Hong Kong. I was using it to give Musa on the American scene. That doesn't concern us here. But now I'll tell you perhaps the most difficult question I ever had. Not embarrassing, but difficult. Midrashat Marie over the years, a few times I had girls with congenital terrible illnesses from birth in wheelchairs, many problems. What will they know? One of these girls once asked me in front of the whole class, Rebbe, why can't the Kohen who has a mum be obeyed in the Beit HaMikdash? And let me tell you, that's a very, very powerful question. I answered her, based upon the Gemara in Sachem, Dachman Zion, Ahmed Aleph, I believe it is. How would you handle that? How would you handle that? This is a girl asking you, not in theory. It's a girl sitting in front of you in a wheelchair. And she's saying to you in reality, why am I any less than any healthy, normal human being? I don't want to be like this. I didn't choose to be like this. God made me like this. Why am I a second-rate human being? If I would be a coin, I couldn't do the avoda. This is a mum. What a question. Right, I answered him. Thank God I've studied Jewish history. If not for Jewish history, I could not answer the question. Although the Chinuch deals with it too. But my knowledge of Rishon, and I'm not going to go into detail now, my knowledge of Hasidus and Malchot saved my life. And I said to her, tell me, what is the Beis HaMikdash? The Beis HaMikdash is a dream world. A world that's perfect. It's the world which represents tangibly what we would like to be spiritually and physically. And there's no one who wouldn't like to be perfect. And that's the Gemara in Psachim, where the Gemara says, what did they do with all the Shkaram they raised? They had money left over. You know how many shoe fights there have been throughout the years? You had an appeal and you had money left over. What do you do with it? What do you do with it? A shoe was sold and they have half a million dollars now. What do you do with that money? Balabatam have fought bitter wars. What do you do with the money? Now what is, what is the Gemara saying? Psachim. Now what did they do with the Gemara? They went and they bought gold bars. And all over the Beit Tamikdash, all over the surrounding areas and Abayat, they built golden walls. And, and they kept it covered. And on Yentiv, they opened up the curtains, let everyone see the gold, how beautiful it is. I quote the Gemara, Ein bold lam. And the, the Mephashim said, Lam, Ein bold pagam. Nothing is lacking. Tell me, Avi. This is your concept of being inspired, of seeing gold? What are you, an American westernized uh, assimilated Jew? You want to see gold and silver and chandeliers? What is this, Borough Park? What's going on here? It's a beautiful concept. It's a symbolism. Wow, what beauty. What perfection. The house of God, the hill of God, the Har Maria, beautiful, lovely, inspiring, perfect. Ain't on yut. How did Chazal put it? No, help me out. Ain't on yut, but Nothing is lacking here. The animals drank out of out of clay clay kesef. 
It's a symbolism. I want it to be perfect. I wish I were perfect. That's what life is about. That's the coin. When he is doing the avoda, he is a symbolism. Not chasva that a coin who's more healthy than the other is any better. God forbid. No, but as a symbolism of perfection, of the ultimate, what we wish we were, what we strive to be, what we pray for our children, that's the symbol of the coin. And that's why the Balmum can't do the Avodah. And you follow me, Shlomo? I saved my life with that answer. That was a question that was unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know, who was asking it to me in front of a class? And you got to an answer. And the Rebbe has to give an answer. And you can't uh, hem and haw. Thank God, my knowledge of Jewish history is sake. And if I wouldn't have understood Malchut, if I wouldn't have understood Russian, I could have never given that answer. That was one time. That was that, that, was that question. What I spoke about in, in class today was, an, was a different question. I might as well mention it here. And then in a few previous years, I wouldn't even mention these words. But today, I was dealing with the, 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 the need to symptom and the problem of living in two cultures. And among other things, I told the girls that one of my most embarrassing moments, the most embarrassing moment I ever had teaching women was in the mid-70s or late-70s in Mahon Gold. A girl gets up, and I remember, what a class. These were mature girls, 19, 20. It was a different ballpark then, maybe even older. And a girl says, Rebbe, what's the attitude of the halacha towards oral sex? I didn't know what she was talking about. Thank God I knew a Rambam, the Rambam, Saved my life, or the Marcel Ishto. I don't want to go into details. Saved my life. I believe it's Perikofalov. Saved my life. Then I found out what she was talking about, and then why they were asking. I said, Nowadays, there isn't a base Yaakov girl in America over the age of nine who doesn't know what all sex is. That's the world we're living in. You understand? It's unbelievable. Now we take for granted. It's normal, it's fine. It's that was an embarrassing moment. The other moment was really a wrenching moment, a traumatic moment. A girl in a wheelchair asked me a question like that. Okay, now, and what do we mean by Balmum? All of you know a Kohen, a Balmum, can't do the Avodah. And it's a big shala, by the way, can he do Birchat Kahanim? There's literature on all these topics. What does it mean a Mum? So, it's fascinating that the, the Arach HaShulchan equates all the Mumim, which are listed out, which knock out a Kohen, they have a din of what we call um, a Siman Benoni. Where do you find all this? Look into the Rambam, Hilchat Biyatamigdash, Perikhet, Halacha Aleph. And the Rambam begins, and I'll just, I'll just take a f- few of them. He lifts out 90 different Mumim. Shmona Barosh, eight of them have to do with the head, Ve'elohein. Mishem Tzak Hat Kako Shokeh Lamata Kamosha Dachaku Biyado. Very interesting. The middle of your head is pushed down, like you've been putting on Tefillin with too much pressure. That would be a Mum. That would be a Simen Beinone. You know something? Just on Friday, walking into town, I saw a man with exactly this Mum. Exactly. Right right near the triangle on King George. Front of the head, pressed down. 
amazing. Like someone pressed down, like it was soft, a sponge, like jelly. It gave, like jello, like, 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 like something uh, fragile. It pushed down. Remains that way. Like a hammer. All these examples of, of different formation. Uh, a guy with a short neck, a long neck. It goes on and on. These are mumim and these are siman benoniyam. Very fascinating. Now, I don't know statistically, you fellas, some of you are, are going to be medical doctors, perhaps you know medical doctors, you have friends who are medical doctors, have many students who are medical doctors, research, interesting. It would be fascinating to take the 90 different women that the Rambam lists out and to see statistically how often they occur. And this is the basis of the Siman Benoni. So if I can define it, Siman Mufak, something very, very rare. Siman Benoni, something rare, but yet statistically you bunk into it quite often. And then the Yerach HaShulchan says in Sifkatan Kufayin Bad. Even though, logically speaking, a siman benoni should be worthless by an aguna? How can you be matter in aguna? How can you be matter in eshadish? How can you take the chance? How can you play with, with a mamzerut? How can you can play with, with the most difficult laws of all? Throw it away. Disregard it. That's correct. But the minute you have more than one Siman Benoni, two Siman Benoni equal one Siman Mufak. And he explains exactly what I'm explaining all along. Why? What is the Siman Mufak? Circumstantial. You found the body. It's too late to identify the body. The visage is gone. But there's a semen mufak that this person had six fingers. That's the body you found. This body is missing. How many people have six fingers? Circumstantially, it's very powerful. Take two siman benoniyim or emsayim or call them what you wish and put them together. It makes the circumstantial evidence very strong. Fine, I found the person. His neck is very small. His nose is flattened in. Two siman and bainoni, and each one doesn't mean that much. Putting it together, circumstantially, this is the person that is missing. Mufak, fabulous. Two bainoni equal one mufak. And finally, my last word of introduction. Arachashulchan yudzayin kufayin bet. Eisa siman garua? And that's what I said to you. How do I had my whole introduction of last week? And here it is. Some of us are shorter. Some of us are, are, are taller. All right. Short, tall. Some of us are skinny. Some of us are fat. Some of us, lavan, adom. Some of us are complexion. 
more white, some of us red, you know, some people, they look like a beat. They look like a beat. Okay. All right. These are Simanim Gurim. You have many people that look like this. Uh, to be slightly taller, slightly shorter, this is not any more than a Siman Garua. And of course, he dismisses the Siman Garua. And although he admits that you can have shortness and tallness, which is a Siman Mufak, there are no two ways about it. If you're as tall as Michael Jordan, that's a Siman Mufak. How many people are that tall? If you were short as a midget, how many people are that short? That's a Simon Mufak already. Uh, if you're totally red like a beet that it reaches abnormality that doctors have to treat it, that's a Simon Mufak. If you're right, if you're an albino, am I using the right word? And, and, and your genes and the chromosomes, whatever it is, and you're totally white and, and there's no pigment in you, that's a Simon Mufak. But generally speaking, short look, if a guy is 500 pounds, that's a Simon Mufak. If a guy is 225 pounds, that's a Simon Garua. There are many people walking around that I know that weigh in over 200 pounds. That's a Simon Garua. But on the other hand, when a guy already, I have Stu Lower Lane, I've had everything, I've had everything in life you can imagine. I have one dear student, his mother died young, it's a tragedy. Guy, 400 pounds. Had operations, he went through hell in life. Uh, they, they cut out part of his intestine, they shouldn't be able to eat so much. I mean, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling mind-boggling what people what you see in life and this is a dear student who studied with me twice in YU in America and in BMT in the very very early years and then he, he went through hell I have another student BMT student it's a very hard life a tragic life a YU musmach also his weight it's frightening frightening it's a very hard life I understand it the only thing he can do in life and have joy out of his eating is, is his wife knifed him it's, just fine. it's unbelievable Unbelievable. But that's a Simon Mufak. So, this is the Yorech HaShulchan. Nothing compares to a Patsav. That's the Gemara in Yavamat. Simanim, the whole Gemara in Yavamat, and with the Gemara in Bab Metziah, are they the Araita, are they the Rabbanan? Obviously, the fallout is, how powerful are they by Anaguna? But one thing is for certain, we do use Simanim to be Matar Anaguna. If it's the Araita, it's the Larissa, it's the Rabbanan, you have to try a little harder. It's circumstantial evidence. A simon mafat maybe is enough to be matter in a guna period. Two simanim benonim form a simon mafat according to the Erech HaShulchan, according to the Poskim. Simanim gruim are dismissed by the Erech HaShulchan. That is where the Siwa B'Shulchan comes along and he is machadesh, a tremendous chiddish. He says just this two benonim equal a mafat, two gruim equal a benonim. So technically speaking, if you have four simanim gruim, you have two bainonayim, which equal one mufak, you should be able to be matarinisha. And if it is circumstantial, take four simanim gruim, a person is missing who happens to have black hair, with a nose that is slightly hooked, uh, who is, weighs 250 pounds, and is six foot four. Those are four simanim gruim. But, you find a body that measures up with these four factors? Follow me, Matthew? That's it. It's circumstantial. It, it makes a lot of sense. This is the halacha. This is how we're mat here. Gentlemen, let me go further. Now into the actual shalat and shivat. Let's see it before our eyes. 
17th, early 18th century. Shelton Chuvit Shev Yaakov, Rabbi Yaakov Katz, Frankfurt and Main. Right? You're all aware that there were two great communities in Germany, Frankfurt and Other, which was the smaller community, Frankfurt and Main, which is the larger community, which until modern times had Gedole, Gedole, Gedolem, where Rabbanim there, like the Pnei Yoshua, the Bechat Avraham, etc., the Shev Yaakov. I'm quoting to you from Shevetu Chuvet Shev Yaakov, Siman Yud Kimmel. Person disappeared, and after a while, a short while, they found a dead body. But they could not identify the body, Rigamorta said in, it was obviously after 72 hours, they could not identify the face. However, the Aguna testified that her husband had two bad makot. He received two bad beatings on his back. And she gave the exact location where you could see the scars. One scar was almost healed, but the other scar was still fresh, not healed, and he had a bandage, a tachboshet. How would you say that? It may be more than a bandage. What would you use the word? A, 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 a gauze on it, whatever it was. The wound was covered. Interesting. Guy was beaten up, doesn't say how. Curious. I'd like to know. But she identifies. They turned the body over and they found exactly those two scars. One partially healed, one very fresh. Exactly as she described, and the exact location where she described. Something else. They found the clothes. And in the clothes, they found IOUs that he was carrying with him. To add to it, there was an Eid Echad who heard from a guy Messiah Lafitumov. See, it's all weak evidence, but it's building up. Guy, an Eid Echad. In other words, what do we have here? Hearsay evidence. You have every psalated. Hearsay, a single Eid, in the name of a guy. And the guy was Messiah Lafitumov to other guy he was talking about. How this Jew, and he identified the Jew, and the city, he evidently knew him. Too bad, he said, this murderer killed him, beat the hell out of him, and he described that he kept on hitting him, and pushing him down, and how the Jew tried to get up, and each time he tried to come to get up, he slammed him again, until he was beat to a pope and he was dead. So, look what you have here. Goy, aid me piyed, aid echad, goy, mesich lefit tumo. The clothes, the shtarat, the two makat on the guy's back. And First of all, he goes into a whole analysis of the makot. 
And he says, even if you will claim it's a simon benoni. I mean, after all, uh, people do fight, people are black and blue. Whenever I see my grandchildren, you can believe me, each one has a different story why they're black and blue. Lera Lena, it's part of life, part of growing up. I may be lucky, people don't hit me. I get a Baruch Hashem. Well, maybe it's only a simon benoni. But Tonshimanim benoniim that she could talk about two scars and one was partially healed, one was not healed at all, and to find the person that she has exactly these scars, he says, there's certainly two simon benoniim. And two say benoniim, mistafim, fahave, kishimim, muvak. Fabulous. That alone is powerful. In addition, you have the guy, Mesih Lafitumon. We've spoken about this many times. No one asked the guy. The guy's talking, he's telling a story. He's telling other guy. He's describing a scene. It's fascinating the way he describes the scene that the Ratsayach, he doesn't whoever the Ratsayach was, the Ratsayach is beating him and he's rising, he's slamming him like a Hollywood movie. Like a TV uh, mystery. You see this a million times over. Why do you think there's so much violence in the world today? Ehud, how far is that high school from Denver, from the Jewish community? If I have a, and what do they say? That one of the kids was Jewish? His mother was Jewish? One of the murderers? It's in the news today. Yeah, it's unbelievable. What, what do you want? If the kids see this on TV, why can't they emulate it? It's, it's unbelievable. So the guys been seeing it feet too mo. Beating him, hitting him, he's rising, he's slamming, he's punching him, knocking him down. It's enough. Then he deals with the shtarat. And this is very fascinating. IOUs? You're not going to lend that to anyone else. You're not going to let someone else take it. It's not letters, documents, these are IOUs. And then, then you're the one who's going to collect. And the money is owing to you. This is a very strong proof that this is the person. On this basis, the Shev Yaakov is not here. But what do we see from here? One thing very clearly. Two Bainonayim equal a Mufak. That alone may be enough to be matya. Like everything else, like we've said from the start of the year and even last year, because of Chumat Eishatish, where Mitzah Reif is many circumstantial factors as we can. But two Bainunayim equal one Muvhak. Rabbi Akiva Ega, the great Rav of Posen, the great Rabbi Akiva Ega. You know, he was a post-sake mufak. People don't realize. We, we refer to Rabbi Akiva Ega. By the way, it took me a long time to learn his name. When I entered the yeshiva in 1951, one of the first names I heard was the Rabbi Akiva Ega. Rabbi Akiva Ega, Rabbi Akiva Ega, Rabbi Akiva Ega. That's all I heard. It took me a long time to learn that there's a Rabbi Akiva Ega. Can anyone tell me who his son-in-law was? Son-in-law. Chatam Sofa. Rabbi Moshe Sofa was the son-in-law of Rabbi Akiva Eger. Rabbi Shlomo Eger was his son who became a Hasidic Rabbi. Disowned him. And you know what happened to Rabbi? It's an amazing thing. Yeshiva Yeshek Rabbi Akiva Eger. 
from all his other children, there is not one Jew walking the face of the earth today. The greatest nobility, lords, pre-World War to Europe, royalty, Goyim Gomorrah, Catholics, Agers, with pictures of their great-grandfather on the wall, the chief rabbi. And the only son from whom there are endless Jews today is going to become a Hasidic rabbi. And from his son-in-law, of course, the Khatam Sofa. It's unbelievable. Go and explain it. The Bible contest, you know, you, you saw the Bible contest last week? I mean, it was worth watching. It's marvelous what, what these... Three women came in. One, two, three. Women. The women on the world today. One, two, three. Three women. By the way, the girl who finished first from an A-block of a term, very inspiring. Here's a girl who's basically blind. They needed help, needed help walking. You know, what that girl did with her mind. When I, I couldn't understand. She looked so intense. And then at the end, when they said she's kvedat riyar, they're helping her walk, I tell you, I started to cry. I couldn't control my tears. Imagine the obstacles that girl overcame. And she was perfect, perfect score. The girl who finished third, no, David, what was her name? Palachek. What does that name tell you? Avi, be proud of why you, David, September 1st, Aaron Rakevet makes a sudat mitzvah. Can you tell the class why? Every year, September 1st, the sudat mitzvah. What do you say, Ehud? Because that was the day the first great Rosh Yeshiva came to America, not to raise funds, not to speak, not to visit, but to settle and to teach Torah. That's the way the first Rosh Yeshiva became the Rosh Yeshiva while you and put that little Yeshiva on the map as a world-class Yeshiva that we can say Sherman Yudushalayim today. It goes back to September 1st. What was his name? Anybody? Reb Shlomo. He was invited by Rabbi Revel. Reb Shlomo Palachek, the Mechit Eli, Talmud Mufak of the Chaim Brisco, Lida Rosh Yeshiva, Reb Shlomo Palachek. That girl who finished third in the Bible contest was the Mechita's great-granddaughter. Go and figure it out. And so many of the of the Talmidim of Elohim were talking, the Mechita had become a, a Mizrachiite. And take a look. So many of them have no one left. I don't want to mention names. I can tell you articles, monographs I published, letters I got. No one, one great, the greatest, one great-grandson was Jose the Chuva and wrote to me a beautiful letter thanking me for writing about his great-grandfather. And Reb Shlomo Lepalachek, the Mizrachiite, there are hundreds of kids running around the world, tens of kids named Shlomo, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, most of them are at Mata Kodesh, what he was Zeichat to. How many members of his family of how I taught do I know? We punish Shalom. Be proud, David, the Mechita's great-granddaughter, number three. This is Reb Kivek. It's an amazing thing, Reb Kivek. There's memoir literature, I can't go into it now, where you actually read Goyim wrote who their great-grandfather was. Polish nobility. Count Eger, Lower Lenu. And the Reb Kavega was a great post as well. It's not only Lundis. We know him from, from, his, from the Gemara, from his La, and his own Lundis. I mean, I, I can tell you the Rav, everyone stood in awe of his mind, the insightfulness, Reb Kavega. Okay. I will end off with this very fascinating question. Shalom Shavit Reb Kavega, Siman Kuv Chet. And I have to tell you, in my own family, I had this. My wife's aunt, 1934, I think it was, Lake Placid, New York, when ice skating on the ice, and there was a hole in the ice, she drowned. 
It's exactly the story here. Those of you who know Europe, I was in Russia many times during the winter. Everything is frozen over. And this person was walking across the river, thought it was frozen. There was a hole in the ice. Lower Lenu. It cracked under him. The body's not recovered. After many days, they fished the body, excuse me, out of the water. No one could recognize him. Too many days had evaporated. There was no visage left. No patsuf, no nose. Rigor mortis, as I've said. However, there were a number of simonim. On his left hand, there was a scar of a uh, beating he had received. He had a puntinal. Who knows what a puntinal is? It seems it was a type of wart that was on his back. So that you had the scar, the wart, on his back and that's one of the problems of responsible literature as I've said a thousand times over go and explain what a marufir is it's a word used by the Rishonim by the earliest trivet we have in two today we don't know for sure what marufir means you know how much has been written to try to define the word marufir that's the problem with responsible literature here he uses a word that uh, we don't use anymore we don't know what it means You'd have to go into Polish and check the language, the local language. Was it Polish? Was it German? How was it used? It's like Rav Moshe's Shuvat. Imagine a thousand years from now when America won't be on the map anymore and only speaking English. Go and figure out for Rav Moshe what it means, a car. All those words that he transliterates. It's a problem. So the two simonim. And finally, the clothes he was wearing, the clothes on the body absolutely was the clothes that we know belonged to this individual that was missing. What's the problem here? Clothes, blended, borrowed it, maybe it's not the man, maybe someone borrowed from him, the simanam aren't mufhakim, so there's a wart, so there's a, uh, a, a scar, so what? So many people have warts, so many have people have scars. So, Ripke Vega, yes, a simon muvak it isn't. But once you have two simonim benoniim, that equals a simon muvak. And the fact that these warts and scars were found in the exact place that his wife said it should be. Perhaps it's even more than a Siman Benoni. Then, the fact that you found the clothes on this body would be Simonim. And even though it may very well be that clothes we lend out, but you see it's circumstantial. This was his clothes. This is the body with the wart. With the scar. Here already, once you found the clothes on a body with Dishimanim, maybe we're not Chayish L'Shela. And, and, 
The Reb Vega brings even a stronger proof. Why? People saw the man drowning. When the man drowned, they saw him drowning with these clothes on. He checked it. So look what you have here. You have a man who is missing, a man who drowned. A body is fished out of the water. People testified that while he was drowning, he was wearing this suit and this bekesha and this hat and this abacampus and these were the clothes on the man who drowned. His wife was able to give us information that the man had a wart and a scar and she, and she could give us the exact places. She could limit it. She didn't just say it's a wart and a scar, but it's a, it's a scar on the hand, on this part of the hand, on this particular hand. She was able to tell us where the wart was. Now that you find the body so many days later and agreed you can't identify the face, you can't identify the nose, the patsuf is gone. But the circumstantial evidence is overwhelming. And Rabbi Akivega is matir. Lahalacha ulamaisa. The heta, number one, two simanim and tsayim are equal to one simanim mufak. Allah had come of a comer in a case like this where the semen mufak, where the semen emtsai may even border on a semen mufak. Because remember, it is so narrowed down, it's not just a wart, it's a scar, but it's a wart and a scar in a very specific place. Add to that the fact he was wearing clothes, and since the man drowning was wearing this clothes, and this is the man that we find the wart, and we find the scar, and this is the man who is missing, and this is the clothes of the man who is missing, under such circumstances, lo chashin and l'shela. And with these two factors, biyad river chava, the Rebke Vega is matir. So, you see, everything we learned in theory now starts to take on or uh, vigidim, uh, if I can use the rabbinic expression, it starts to take on, in English you would say, flesh and blood. It starts to become real. It starts to become tangible. And you have, and I'll show you more examples of more examples and fascinating cases, but it builds up into crescendo. Semimivak alone may be enough. We always try to find something else to support it to make the circumstantial evidence all the stronger, all the more powerful, all the more tangible, all the more convincing. One alone is not enough. Two together equal a simon mifak with all the implications. So far, the simanim gruim seem to have no value. But there, a Yitzchel comes along and Badako Bakodesh with his unbelievable insight, he elevates the simon garuha. Logically, two simanim gruim one Benoni. Four Simanum Gruim, two Benoniyim. Two Benoniyim, one Mufak. I, taken individually, each Simon Garua is no more than a Simon Garua, Labriot, but this is exactly what I'm saying. It's circumstantial evidence. You are fencing the person in. You are narrowing the possibilities. You are making the circumstantial evidence overwhelming. Yes, it's a Simon Garua, but hide. Weight, a wart, color of hair, all this, and this is, was the way the person missing was, you can't dismiss it. It makes it more circumstantial. Clothes, 
The aide is saying this was the clothes he was wearing when he drowned. This was the man. I knew he was drowning. He was the one. He went under. We found the body with this clothes. Remember, you're not kashin l'shela under the water. See, it's all it's all circumstantial evidence that becomes all the more powerful, and you can be matter the agona lahalacha ulamaisa. You never know for sure. See, this is heteragona. This is what's so difficult about it. What's so tantalizing about it? You never know for sure. But this is the halacha, and believe me, if you ask me, am I certain? I'm absolutely certain that you should find the body under the water with these signs, with this clothes, with this testimony. I'm absolutely certain. So if I can reiterate, on this Sunday when the Torah world in Jerusalem is so busy with the Dibbuk question, which fascinates me, I, 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 I have to hear that tape. I mean, you know, they're charlatans and they're charlatans, but if there are 120 people sitting there, they tell me, Rabbanim, and the Dibbuk spoke. We, why you people, better start uh, reevaluating our priorities in life. Could be we have to dress in white and devote a little time to uh, to Kabbalah. Who knows? But on this day that everyone's concerned with the, uh, we used to call it Eishbrechen a Dibbuk, Eishbrechen an Ayin Hara, to be Magarish a Dibbuk. We were concerned with Agunah. What did we develop today? We finished all the Makara today, all the introductory material. We finished the Gemara in Yavama, the Gemara in Bab Metziah. We dealt with the Erech HaShulchan in great length. It reiterated and gave you more sources to everything that I used as introductory material. You now see why I could introduce it and make such a difficult topic so clear. I pl- Baruch Hashem. And I showed you also the Rambam with Mum, which is a fascinating concept. And, and the Yerach HaShulchan, other Rishonim deal with it, and it's quoted all the way through the Achronim, what's a Mumbai Avoda is perhaps no less than a Simon Bainoni, and I dealt also theologically, there was an offspin on uh, on the whole concept of a coin Baal Mum, and remember the, con- the context in which I was asked that question, it's not, that's not a simple question, you're a Rebbe, you're a teacher, a student is looking up to you, and in front of a class of 40 students, they shoot that question at you, that's not a simple question. And thank God, I have to be my dilemmat that I got involved with Jewish history and I got involved with Jerusalem, with Hasidus, and I can explain it. I don't live it, but I can understand it. It gave me the strength to answer that question that that girl asked. And I have to say, she accepted the answer very graciously. I mean, here's a girl in a wheelchair suffering, and I'm Sparach Hashem in, in, with two feet on the ground and, and two hands and two eyes and, I, and a mouth that speaks. This girl couldn't speak properly either. And, uh, and I'll tell you, a miracle happened with that girl. She's married, mother of two children. It's unbelievable, unbelievable story. Unbelievable, perfectly normal person married her, and, and it's unbelievable. I don't even want to go into more details. It's just unbelievable. It's a fa- fabulous. And out of that girl will come Gedoli Australia because there was so much dedication. God did miracles, mamish miracles. And then, after all the introductory material, we went into actual examples, the Shev Yaakov, the Reb Kivega, and the Ezrat Hashem. Next Sunday, we pick up with the Nod of Yehuda. Now, Adkan Hayom. Tomorrow morning is a very special day, for me at least. I'm giving a eulogy for Joe DiMaggio. Uh, I ask you please to be on time because it's a malachit machshava that you have to, to appreciate it, you have to follow the whole shir, and I must begin on time. I don't know when I'm ending. There'll be nothing else tomorrow morning. It'll go 90 minutes, 100 minutes, 120 minutes, whatever it is. I, I'm going to say a shir for the first time in my life without any time pressure on me. What's necessary to understand tomorrow's shir is a good working knowledge of the Muslim movement and 
a working knowledge of baseball, not superficially, but inside baseball. Nevertheless, I depend upon our rakefet that even those that are not so knowledgeable will understand me. I only ask that you be seated by nine. Everything should be on time. I'm bringing my mother, first of all, to the class. Uh, she should live and be well. And, uh, and um, also... I don't know if any... I, I have a problem simply the location here is very tragic. Rabbi Lichtenstein said uh, when we... For, uh, 1976, he said something amazing. He said, Hamakom nifla hamikum noda. That uh, this building at that time, what what this building has degenerated to, I feel like writing Rabbi Lamb, but I know that my letter, who the hell am I? He'll get the letter, he'll just throw it away. It won't even mean anything. I feel very bad. I got this building. I saved this building for Torah. Mr. Grist used to come every year. I used to go to lunch with him, and he used to tour the building. Everything was went before he came. Was They were sittering here. They were shaking. The building was tip-top. The building today is a disgrace. And, and why you should put money in and refurbish it and the bathrooms and the whole building and, and a paint job and, and the rooms and the, and, and the chairs. And it's just, just unbelievable. But coming back to Rabbi Lichtenstein, I invited a number of friends of mine, but I'm getting the same response. Who can get here? Who can get here? Everyone's going to hear the tapes. I don't know whether there'll be any outsiders or not or a few outsiders, whatever it is. But just give me the cover of being on time so I can roll with peace of mind and present what I want to present. I consider it, uh, I don't want to say a word, but I consider it one of my finer presentations. It's uh, a eulogy for Joe DiMaggio or subtitled on the art of living Torah and teaching Torah. Be'ezrat Hashem Yitbarach, tomorrow at 9. Until we meet again in health and happiness, Be'ezrat Torah, Talein of Akal Yisrael. Thank you very, very much. Matthew, I'll leave that in your hands to a gap for me because the little details. It's